All right. Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Psalm 24 is a psalm written by King David. This psalm tells us about the brilliance of God in his character. Let me say that again. This psalm tells us about the brilliance of God in his character. If I asked you, who is God? I'm not asking, don't raise hands. If I asked you, though, you and me, and we're sitting somewhere, and or you and Miss Rebecca, and I, they said, who is God? How would you answer? Or what if I asked in a different way? What is God like? What is God like? Many times, we, especially in the world, we would also, we would often have a false opinion, a false misnomer, a wrong paradigm. Of, we'd be thinking about God the wrong way. A lot of times we do. And even as believers, it can be that we start to adopt this false conception of who God is. This false thought, this wrong way of thinking about what God is like. Today, this psalm will hopefully help us to kind of get a paradigm shift, if you're familiar with that. It means to get a new mindset, to look at God in a different set of eyes, to see God how God says that he is. If, I, if you were to tell me, or if someone were to ask rather, what is Brother Alex like? You could have some answers, but you have a limited view of who I am because you don't live in the same house as me, and you aren't me. But if you were to ask me, and I had to be totally honest, completely and totally transparent about all my flaws, and you were to say, what is Brother Alex like? I could have an even better answer, because I am me. So let's listen to God, through King David, about what God is like. This isn't an exhaustive list. These are some important attributes of who the Lord. Let me tell you who they are. The beginning. Well, Brad, you're going to tell us all the points right now. Yes, I am. Ready? First, God is sovereign. Let me say that again. God is sovereign. Girls, if you're writing down notes, write down these three. Okay, ready? God is sovereign. Ready? Here's another one. That approaching God is a serious thing, and you must be holy to do it. Let me say that again. Approaching God is a serious thing, and you must be holy to do it. So God is sovereign, and approaching God is a serious thing, and you must be holy to do it. And third, God is the great king of glory who will conquer all. I said God is sovereign, approaching God is a serious thing, and you must be holy to do it. And God is the great king of glory who will conquer all. Verse 1, the earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. You guys see the correlation with the song we sang this morning? This is my father's world. This world that we live in belongs to God. Let me tell you that you are on private property. But Alex, like you're talking about the church? Brother Alex, you're saying I'm not welcome here? Well then, I'll go somewhere else, Brother Alex. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go somewhere that I know that I own. Well, there, that's not, that's not yours either. That belongs to God. That's private property. Well, Brother Alex, I'm going to go find somewhere in the middle of the ocean. I'm going to find an island nobody's ever heard about. Like six foot by six foot place of land. I'm just going to stand there knowing that this belongs to me. And I would there say, 
private property. Somebody already owns that. He said, Brother Alex, I'm going to go into outer space. Or I'm going to, I'm going to leave what man knows. I'm going to go down the bottom parts of the ocean. Or I'm going to find some place that nobody owns. I'm going to call it mine. Plant my flag in it and say, this belongs to me. And nobody else, Brother Alex, you can't tell me different. And I would say, that belongs to God too. Every molecule, every atom, every thread of clothing in your clothes is private property to God. But don't worry, you're not trespassing. Because the one who owns it is your father. Isn't that pretty awesome? This is, this is his world, but I'm welcome here. Because he's my father. If you guys go home to your dad, you're allowed to live with your dad because he's your dad. And he says, you are welcome here. And God says the same. God put us on this earth, and yes, this earth belongs to him. But you are very welcome here. And God has made, he's created all things richly for us to enjoy. Everything belongs to God, all of it. And not just everything is owned by God, but notice, everyone is owned by God. And I know what you're thinking. That is not to say everyone is saved. Let me say that again. Not everyone is saved. Everyone is once owned by God. But all believers in Christ are twice owned by God. Let me say that again. Everybody is once owned by God, but believers are twice owned by God. You are owned, ready, by creation, by redemption. You are owned, as a believer in Christ, by creation and then by redemption. All unsaved people... They are all, they are God's property because God has made them. In the belly, God formed them. God gave them the breath of life. God gave them a soul. They are God's private property. Let me illustrate. So if I was a woodworker, and I would be terrible at that, but if I had my own wood shop, girls, if I had my own wood shop and I went in and Sue asked me to make a, Hannah asked me to make a, what do you want me to make? Wood shop. Think of it. A wagon. A wagon. Wow, that's going to be hard. All right, so I'm going to go in. I'm going to hopefully walk out with a wagon. So I go into the wood shop, and I get chunk, 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 chunk. Rich, rich. That's me and my saw. Rich, rich, rich. Tink, 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 tink. Ow, because I hit my thumb. All right, tink, 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 tink. All right, and I come out, and I got my wobbly wagon. It's going whoop, whoop, because the wheels are uneven. Whoop, 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 whoop. That wagon is mine. Better believe it, because I made it. It belongs to me. Everybody is owned by God by creation. Everyone, all lost people, all unsaved people are God's by creation. Verse 2, why? For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the flood. God owns everything and everyone. And because he created all, he then has the, notice this. This is what the sovereignty of God means. He has the total undisputed right to do whatever he pleases with anyone or anything. We call this right the sovereignty of God. America is a sovereign nation, meaning that we have the ability to do whatever we want in our own borders. And we don't have some oversight committee. We don't have some bigger government in the world. The United Nations might think that's what they are. But America is a sovereign nation, and we have the right to do what we want in our own borders. God's borders is everything. 
Think about that. God, by the way, can I say this? God is really real. God is really real. And God really made the world. So God really owns everything. I mean everything. I mean everything. Because he created it. God is well within his rights to do whatever he wants to. And that brings us, ready, to two conclusions about God's sovereignty. That God is very good to his creation, even though he is not obligated to do so. Let me say that again. God is very good to his creations, even though he doesn't have to be. Nobody may, nobody's twisting God's arm and saying, send your son to the cross. Make them in your own image. Give them air to breathe. Give them water to swim in. Make it easier for them to travel around. Allow them to have the laws of physics and the things in this world for them to discover and to learn. Give them, give them a book for them to know about you. Nobody made God do any of those things. God, of his own will, decided to do that. And you may say, well, Brother Alex, what big whoop, big deal. Guys, remember Baal in the Bible? The false god Baal? Ever heard of Chemosh in the Bible or Molech? These gods, these false gods that man had created, they were wicked and evil and nasty. I think it was Molech or Molech or Chemosh, one of the two, that they would take this god, this metal god, they would heat him up so hot and his hands were like this and they would sacrifice babies to it, to this false god. Or you think about some of these Greek gods where they would demand sacrifice or demand this or demand that. Or Zeus, if you look into Zeus and the demigods and Perseus and all that stuff, it's just wicked, sinful, terrible things that these false gods, our God ain't like that. I said, our God is awesome. Here's a big thing. So you notice, what's the difference between our God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord Jesus, the Holy Ghost, Adonai, El Shaddai, Elohim, whatever you want to call them, all those names of God. What's the difference between that God and every other God that has ever been made and created? Those gods demand of you. Our God gave himself. They demand that. Wait, guys, remember Baal? They were jumping on the altar, cutting themselves, just trying to get... Baal to give them some notice, to get, make them pay attention, or these sun gods or whatever that Egypt would worship. They all just demand and demand and demand and demand and demand. And they would, they would sacrifice and they would worship. But our God saw that we were his enemies. And instead of demanding us to come to him and try to figure out some kind of a plan, he had that plan of redemption because he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave, that he gave, that he gave, that he gave his only begotten son. Our God was not obligated to give us a way of salvation. You know what? God could do so many innumerable terrible things to us. And by the way, totally within his right. If I were to take my wooden wagon, because that wagon's kind of limping along. right? If I were to take my big wagon, and I were to stand on top of this chair, and stand on top of this chair, and I would take my big wooden wagon and yeah, throw it down at the ground as hard as I can. Did I do anything wrong, Joe? No, because why? Because it's mine. Absolutely. I made it, and it's my right to destroy it if I want to destroy it. So let's answer this question. I'm not very prepared for a whole 
dissertation on why we disagree with Reformed theology or Calvinism, but they often use the sovereignty of God to say that God has the right to send anybody to hell without a chance for salvation that he wants to. And God is within his rights, so they think because God has that right, God is exercising that right. God has determined that that person will go to hell, and that's not true. That God, yes, he has the right. If God wanted to, he could be the God of the Calvinists. He could have said, you go to heaven, you go to hell. You go to heaven, you go to heaven, you go to hell. He could have said that and given some people no chance at everybody and the irresistible grace that um, the gospel given to them and then them having no chance to reject it at all. But instead, he made it so everybody has a chance to reject or accept the gospel. That God is well within his rights to do whatever he wants. He could send everybody to hell. You guys get what I'm saying? But instead, God is nice. Let me say that again and let it sink down deep in your ears and marinate like a good stew on a Sunday afternoon. God is nice. But God gives us so many rules, Brother Alex. His commandments are not grievous, the Bible teaches us. We think and we have tricked ourselves and the devil has deceived us that living for God will make us miserable. And that the only one, Brother Alex, who knows how to make me happy is me. And that is such a backwards way of thinking. Someone who believes that, who believes that God will only make you miserable. If I follow God, I'll have to do this, I'll have to do that. I won't be able to do this, I won't be able to do that. And I'll never be happy. But if I go my way, Brother Alex, if I go my way, Miss Rebecca, then I will be able to do this, I'll be able to do that, I'll be able to not have to go do this, I won't have to do that, and I'll live my life and make myself happy. Hey, God, since he's the one that made everything, he made man. He gave man a soul and personality, created life, so he knows how it should be lived the right way. Guys, follow me? That God is nice, and he's good, and you should follow him. You should submit to his sovereignty. You shouldn't have, have to make him try to get your heart to be broken or bring you down to a low place for you to finally be able to look up and see that God is good and that you are wrong. May you listen before you have to learn the hard way. You don't, everybody looking here, you don't have to learn the hard way. You don't have to learn the hard way. You can come to God. You can come back to God. If you're a believer, you can come back to the Lord from your season of coldness and you can enjoy life. You can look back on your life without regrets. But I promise you, you look at me in the eyes. Everybody look at me in my eyes. That if you live for yourself, you will regret it. Promise. I'm not a liar. I promise you that if you live for yourself, if you live how you want to live, you will regret it. And you will wish with everything in you that you could turn back time and make your decision over and live for God instead. Let me tell you, my friends, I've lived for God most of my life. I've had times in my life where I was in sin, but for most of my life, to God be the glory for His grace, I have lived for the Lord. And you know how many regrets I have? Very little. I'm telling you, very little. Brother Alex, don't you know what's out there? Yeah, I know what's out there. 
But guess what? I deleted social media so I don't have to look at that junk anymore. And that's so the devil wouldn't trick me anymore. I know what's out there. You know what? It's nothing. It's just lots of flesh. It's just lots of whatever. And it's just lies. And the really good liars. I said the really good liars. You ever met a good liar? Someone who can just make up the grandest story and you go and see whether or not it's true and not a drop of that lie is true. That's the way the devil is, guys. It's his language. Lying is his native language. It is his tongue. He's the father of lies. And he's out there in the world controlling his children, the children of the devil. He's controlling them and he is lying to them and deceiving them. And they are believing the lie and spreading his lie. And a lot of Christians are believing it. They look back at their benevolent, good, nice Godfather, and they look to him and they say, God, why don't you let me have fun like they get to have fun? Submit to his sovereignty because God is nice, even though he's not obligated to be. Conclusion two about God's sovereignty. When God does something that you think to be unfair, everybody ever heard a little kid go, but that's not fair. Right? Some of you have said that. When God does something that you think is not fair, know that it is fair. Because he has every right to do what he wants. You may not think it's fair. That, and I wrote this no, thinking that there would be more than one family here. You may not think that it's fair that your parents aren't like that person's parents. You may not think it's fair that you were born too short like me or too tall like Sam. You may not you may not think it's fair that you were born in America. Think about this. I used to struggle with this. You may not think it's fair that you were born in America and others were born in poverty in third world countries because you didn't earn being born in America. But there's some kid who's probably a lot nicer than I am who's sitting under a hut in India or in China where they didn't even let him have Bibles. And he's sitting there. And he didn't choose to get born in China. And I didn't choose to be born in America. But... God did. God made that choice. God, that's the doctrine of election. That God put me here and God put him there and it is God's right to do so. I said it is God's right to do so. It is fair. Because, listen to this, God loves every person on earth and gives them only what is best for them and what works towards his divine purposes. It is fair. Because God loves every person on earth and gives them only what is best for them and what works towards his divine purposes and glorifies him. David looks at the great creator. We're going to get to verse 3. As the great creator and owner of all things and asks the question. In response to God's greatness, to his sovereignty, he says this. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? David says, what kind of person? could possibly go into the presence of this great Yahweh? Or who can stand before him? May we in our minds, guys, everybody looking here, may we in our minds understand that God is big. I said, he's big. And I said, he's important. God is big. God is high. God is important, and you are a speck of dust, and I am a speck of dust. The Bible says he remembereth our frame, that we are but dust, that we are but dust, that we're just dust, we're a bunch of dirt, and God is the high, 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 holy 
God. So let me illustrate this. So if I were to say, let's go play some football. Who'd be up for that? You guys like, I like football, and we're going to go play in the mud. And guys and girls alike, okay, well, say the girls wanted to play some football with us, and we had other people here. So we're going to go play football in the mud. We're going to go outside in the mud, and Sam's out there. Sam goes, hike, and he just running, and he just does a, a dive right into touchdown. He's covered in mud from head to toe. Joseph's just eating mud with a spoon, because that's what Joe does. He's just, he's just eating mud with a, he's just eating the mud with a spoon, and the girls are out there just throwing mud at Joseph, because that's what they would do, right? And so we're, I mean, we're all filthy dirty, and I, I just like, I get up, I wipe the sweat and the mud off my face, and I still got a bunch of mud on my face, and I look over across the parking lot, because I'm gassing, like, hey guys, I think that's the limo for the king of England. Let's go in his limo. And we all were saying, yeah. So we all run to the king of England's limo. And the, the driver left the door unlocked. He's probably going to get fired after this. So we all open Joseph first. And Joseph goes in, sits next to the king of England. And like Joe does, he just puts his arm around the king of England. He says, hey, Mr. Englandy, how's it going? And he gives Mr. England some kind of neck snuggles like he did for Jeff Redland. That was so weird. I'll have to show you the picture. But we, we get in this guy's limo. What would he do? Don't answer. Think in your mind. What would the king of England do? Get out! <laughs> That's what he would do. Get out of my limo! Why? Two reasons. He doesn't know you, and you're dirty. Let me say that again. He doesn't know you, and you're dirty. So why is it that we think, or that people in the world can think, that we can just walk up into the presence of God, and he doesn't know us. What do you mean by that, Alex? Well, in the Bible, it says that in that day, when the day when the chaff and the wheat are separated, when the tares and the wheat are separated, and the Lord takes those who've accepted his son and brings them to heaven, and then takes the chaff and burns them in everlasting fire, where the worm dieth not, neither is the fire quenched, that in that day there will be many that say this, Lord, Lord, have not I done many wonderful works in thy name and cast out devils and this and that? What does the Lord say? You guys have heard sermons. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. So why is it that this world thinks that they can be an unbeliever, someone who's never come to Christ in faith, and they expect to be able to just waltz up into the presence of God? That's unfit. That's unseemly. That's not right. That's not, that's not good. The king of England would kick you out of his limo first because he doesn't even know who you are. Let me ask you a question. Does God know you? If you were to be there, imagine yourself because you will be there. I said you will be there on that day. You will look the Lord in the eyes one day as an unbeliever or a believer, as a Christian or a goat, as, as a sheep or a goat. You will look God in the eyes and he will either say, come in or get out. He'll either say, come in or get out. If it were right now, what would he say to you? Would he say, come in or get out? I don't know you. Come in, you've accepted my son. You have accepted my price, the payment for sin that I sent to the world for your sins. You can come in because I recognize you. You're mine. You're my child. We've met before. That you don't bear your sins. Or will it be that he will say, you are still in your sin. 
You trampled underfoot the blood of my only son. You stepped on it. You rejected it. You said, nah, I'm good. You sat in church service after church service after church service, heard my gospel preached that was bought with my blood, the plan of salvation that I didn't have to make. And I came and I sent the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost sat striving with you during sermons, pulling on your heartstrings, saying, believe, believe, trust, call on God for mercy, call on God for mercy. And you rejected him time after time after time after time. And you never accepted my sacrifice. You never accepted the price. So if you don't want my payment, go pay for your sins yourself. And God would kick you out into burning, fiery flame forever. Where the worm dieth not, neither is the fire quenched. So let me ask you, are you a believer? Are you a sheep or a goat? Are you weed or chaff? Are you weed or tear? What are you? Everybody look at me. What are you? We'd say, what is God like? Well, now let me ask, who are you? Who are you? What's your identity? Are you a child of the devil? Or are you a child of God? You don't have to be. You don't have to be a child of the devil. That's not God's will. He's willing that all should be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. God is so good, and he gave his only begotten son on the cross to pay for your sins. So come and accept it. Repent and believe the gospel, my friends. My brothers and sisters, don't die and go to hell. Don't die and go to hell. Don't pay for your sins. Don't sit in your sins and experience hell here, which is what bondage to sin is. It's hell. That's terribleness. He came to redeem us from all our iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. You don't have to be in your sins. You don't have to be bound to your sins. You can come to Christ today in repentance and faith, realizing that God is who he said he is. Jesus is the Lord of all. He is God. He is God's son. And he's the only one who could pay for my sins. And he came and he died on a cross. He suffered and bled and he became sin for me. He knew no sin, but he became what he hated the most. And Jesus died, but he rose again the third day. And he's the only satisfactory payment for sin. The only way. He is the way, the truth, the life. And no man comes to the Father but through him. Nobody can go into God's presence. Nobody can get to heaven. Nobody can experience God's presence on earth without being in the Son. Without being risen with Christ. And you have to believe also that you are who God said you are. You're a sinner. You have broken God's law. You have shattered it. And you rightfully deserve hell. It is what you deserve. You must come to the end of yourself and come to God not with good works, but with nothing. Nothing but a plea. Saying, Jesus, I believe. I believe. Save me. Have mercy on me, God. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me. Save me. I have no other way but you. Save me, Lord. Let's finish with that. Lord Jesus, I 